<coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> All right, that's a little better. Romans chapter 12, we're going to look at that verse in just, or uh, verses number one and two in just a moment. Um, but we are continuing, of course, on doing decisions right. And if you're joining us for the first time uh, via live stream, we've been walking through the process of biblical, uh, uh, biblical decision making and making sure that our decisions that we uh, make are in accordance to the Word of God, in accordance to what He desires and how God leads in His wonderful and perfect will. We've given some resources. We've split this series up into two categories, one of which is the tools or the resources that we need, and then the steps. We said the tools that we need are a sober mind, a pure heart, a courageous spirit, wisdom, godly wisdom that is, seeing things God's way and God's perspective, and faith. And those resources, those tools are vital if we are going to make a decision right. Last week, as we began looking at the steps or how we can begin taking the tools and the resources and to put them into action, we said, first of all, to refuse to trust yourself. Remember, this is an actionable statement. In other words, there's action here. Uh, the Bible tells us to lean not unto our own understanding. That is a decisional time in which we must choose to not lean to how we see things, but rather lean to how God shapes and guides and directs. God knows what is best. And remember, that is exposed by how we do this decision-making process. If we immediately begin the decision-making process by going contrary to Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, we're already a step behind. We're already starting off the wrong foot. We need to make an actionable statement, an actionable moment in our lives in which we recognize that God's will is best and lean upon that by action, by words, by our thoughts, by how we go forward in the decision-making process. Refuse to trust yourself because we don't know everything. Uh, I don't know everything, but I know one who does, and his name is God, and I can trust him, and truly he leads and directs. And tonight we're going to be looking at this subject that's on the screens here this evening, to seek and to surrender to God's will. These really are two sides to the same coin. And we're going to look at that tonight. I want you to take your Bibles and look at Romans chapter 12. Keep your place there. We're going to turn to other portions of Scripture, but keep your place there. We're going to come back to this towards the end of the message tonight as well. Notice what the Bible says in verse number 1. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, that word beseech there is speaking of beg. Would you please? He is a moment in which he is uh, uh, pleading for the attention and begging for the heart of God's people. I beseech or I beg you, therefore, brethren, I plead with you, brethren, therefore, by the mercies of God. Let me just stop here and let me just set some context here. 
sometimes we read through this entire, this is a very familiar portion of scripture. And sometimes we look at this first statement here, this first line of this verse, and our minds immediately run to the end of that verse, but we need to get the context of it. We need to get the spirit of this verse. Notice this is by the mercies of God. God here is not demanding or commanding us to present. He says, by the mercies of God, he's drawing us. In other words, Paul is looking and saying, look, I, I plead with you. Would you please understand the many mercies of God that have led you to this point in your life? God's mercies are rich. They are countless. How many times do we sing, there shall be showers of blessings? God's mercies have been good to us over and over and over again. God has sent us by His mercy a Savior. By His mercy we heard the gospel. By the mercy of God we responded to the gospel. And by the mercy of God we are saved as we put our faith and trust in God. It is God's incredible mercy. And upon that mercy, Paul appeals or pleads our minds to get us to understand that God is not trying to command us, but rather draw us. God's heart is to draw us to desire to present our bodies as a living sacrifice. God is not a dictator. He's not some tyrant. He's not some God that has some tyrannical rule. He is a loving, kind God who knows what is best and he wants to invite and draw us in and encourage us to present our bodies a living sacrifice. He says, do you remember all that I've done for you and by those mercies would you respond? And how appropriate it is. God lovingly and tenderly invites us. Invites us to do what? To present our bodies a living sacrifice. Holy, acceptable unto God. Which is your reasonable service? We're going to come back to that word later on. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. I love that wonderful thought that God, by His wonderful tender mercies, transforms me. By the renewing of my mind, as God renews my mind, and God renews my thinking to be more and more like His thinking, He transforms me. He takes what the world has programmed into me, and He transforms it into something, such much, into something much better. He transforms it into the image of Christ. He transforms that which is broken and destitute and uh, 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 and and destructive in my life and he transforms it by the mercy of God into something that can generate life and health and truly instruction in righteousness it is incredible what God does as he transforms us 
And as He transforms us, He shows, He proves what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. I've been listening to preaching for a long, long time. I was, after I was born, my parents started going to church. And I've been in church all my life, 41 years. I've listened to thousands upon thousands of messages over the years. And over the years, I've heard that this last statement, what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God, described as three separate wills. There's a good will, an acceptable will, and a perfect will of God. But I don't like the way that's broken down. I don't think that's what the Bible teaches here. I don't believe God has just a good will for some people and an acceptable will for others and a perfect will for some. I don't believe God is like that. I believe the will of God can be described as good, acceptable, and perfect. Just as Paul stated, the will of God is always good, the will of God is always acceptable, and the will of God is always perfect. It is always right. It is always what is best. These are descriptors of the will of God. God's will is good, acceptable, and perfect. Years ago, uh, trying to think how many years, probably six, seven years ago now, I believe it was, my family was in Florida, and we were staying at a church, and uh, for a few, uh, for a week or so, and as we were staying there, my wife and I had the thought of taking our boys to do something special. Uh, Nathan, I think, was about five or so, four or five at the time, and we uh, decided to do something that we would like to do, but do it in a much better way for a play in a place called SeaWorld. My family and I love to go to aquariums. We love to go and to see the fish, especially if there's some sharks and you get to walk over or go in a tunnel and the sharks are swimming all around you. Uh, I always have loved aquariums. Uh, I, can't one, I can't wait one day to hopefully have an aquarium once again in our home. And uh, something I've just always enjoyed. I've enjoyed watching fish, something peaceful and serene about watching God's beautiful creation. Uh, swim across the waters. It's just an incredible thing. And so we decided to surprise the boys and to go to SeaWorld. Now, if you know anything about SeaWorld, it is an aquarium on steroids. Uh, it, uh, uh, there's, there's nothing in comparison to it, uh, to seeing a killer whale, Shamu, come jumping out and splashing the crowd and the dolphins going up and doing all their tricks and the sea lions and all the different animals that they have that uh, just do incredible, incredible things. It is amazing at what they do. And so we, we uh, uh, told the boys, uh, we have something special. And we started, we tried to describe what it was. And we said, we're going to go to SeaWorld. It is like an aquarium. And I, re and I remember Nathan especially looking, and he had been to a, a couple of aquariums when he was younger and uh, already, and he was all excited. His eyes were like, yes, let's, let's do this. Then I said, we're going to SeaWorld. And I said, it's a I said, it's a, an aquarium where the fish jump and such. And he's like, what? I don't want to go there. 
I want to go to a real aquarium. Well, this is a real aquarium, but it's a great aquarium. It's better than what you've ever been to before. I don't want to go there. I don't want to go to SeaWorld. I want to go to a different aquarium. And I'm thinking, he has no idea what he's about to see. He's got no clue of all the different things that he is going to see and how awesome it's going to be. We load up in the car and he was a little disappointed. He was disappointed and just, just grumbling about it. And we started on that way to SeaWorld. He says, I don't want to go. We started arguing back and forth. I remember my wife and I talking and trying to console him, trying to let him know how incredibly awesome it's going to be. But he didn't want to go. He wanted to go to this aquarium. I wanted to go to a different aquarium. And so, finally it got to the point where it's like, okay, you just need to be quiet. No more arguing. We're going. That's it. And so, we did. And suddenly when we got to this aquarium and suddenly you see all the killer whales and the different things jumping up out of the air, suddenly his look went from disgust to, wow, that is amazing. And seeing the dolphins jump up and jump through hoops and all the different things that they do, it was incredible. And it was one of our favorite days. We had an incredible time. It was amazing, all the things that we were able to see at that incredible aquarium, quote-unquote, called SeaWorld. You see, he had a picture of what he wanted to do. But I knew, we knew that when he got to that aquarium, when he got to SeaWorld, it was going to blow his mind how incredible it was. That is God's will. God's will is greater than what you or I could ever anticipate. His will is much better than what you or I could ever dream of it being or ever plan of it being. So often we get stuck on our own aquarium, our own things. But my way is like a small in-home aquarium with just a goldfish in the bowl. God's will is SeaWorld. <laughs> when I try to do my things and I try to determine God's will is just my way of looking upon it, I miss greatly the tremendous blessings and the awesome splendor in which the will of God entails. The will of God is incredible. I want to give tonight a few thoughts this evening about the good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. First of all, tonight, I want us to look at six things on why we resist God's will. If God's will is that wonderful, why do we resist it? Why do we argue with God and say, God, I don't want to do that. I don't want to go there. I don't want to do this. Why do we sit back and fold our arms and get all mad about it because God is trying to lead us into something which is greater than what we could ever possibly imagine? Why do we get so cross at God over these things that God leads into our life knowing 
that He has something much greater for us. And He's drawing us and inviting us to partake into it. Six reasons quickly. First of all, on why we resist God's will is that God's will seems vague and my will seems so concrete. This is a mind game that Satan plays upon us and we play on ourselves. For you see, we don't know the future. None of us do. And for me to say that my plans are concrete is truly a lie to ourselves because I don't know what my plans are. I have some plans for this summer, but none of them may happen. I might die tomorrow. I don't know. My plans are not concrete. My plans are vague. But God's plan is truly something that is concrete. He is the author of all things. He is the one that gives and leads and guides in plans. He is the one that truly makes these things come to fruition. So often I give my ideas, my plans, much more credit than what they own than what they ever deserve. In fact, they are my imaginations. And our plans are very much that. They are just simply our imaginations. They may never come to be. They may never come to uh, fruition. We don't know because we're not, we've not been to the future. We don't know what's going to take place. But we push against that because God's will seems to be vague in areas. He doesn't show us everything. He doesn't teach us all the different steps. He just shows us one step at a time. And as we take that step at a time, sometimes we wonder what's going to happen five steps from now. We don't know what's going to happen five steps from now. But if we follow God, God knows. And God's plan is concrete. God's plan is perfect. We resist God's will because God's will, secondly, seems frustrating to find. There's thinking out there today that God's will is like some cosmic Easter egg hunt that I've got to scan the universe for. In order for me to find the will of God, I've got to go to Pluto, and then after I go to Pluto, I've got to go to the rings of Saturn, then after I go to the rings of Saturn, I've got to go to Mars, and after I go to Mars, I've got to go to the center of the earth. And I mean, it's just, it's, it's, they make it to, it's impossible to find. And granted, there's a mystery to the will of God because we don't know every step. We don't know every step that God's going to lead our way. But God invites us to trust him for that next step. God invites us to trust him to take that step that he leads and puts in front of us. Yes, there's an aspect of mystery, but it's God invites us to know it. And God leads us to it. For Easter this year, we had an Easter egg hunt in our front garden and across the road. And we just hid Easter eggs everywhere. And uh, when we did so, for our boys, we decided that uh, 
they, after a while, that they needed a little bit of help finding some Easter eggs. And so we did the game, if they're hot or cold. I don't know if you've ever played it or not, but someone gets close and you say, oh, you're getting hotter and you're getting hotter and you're getting hotter. Or if they're going away, oh, you're getting colder and you're getting colder and getting colder. And uh, we used that to help them to find what area. We didn't tell them where, but we just told them, boy, you're, you're as hot as the sun or you're cold as Pluto. You're, you're, you're as far away as you could be. And we told them, led them in that direction. And often, you know, that's God's inviting of, oh, you're getting so close. Come on. Oh, just take that next step. God leads. God isn't just simply saying, okay, have at it. Whatever you find, you find. God says, no, no, no. Let me lead you. Let me guide you. Let me direct you. Let me help you here. Let me guide your thinking. Let me guide your spirit. Let me help you come to understand what I have. God's will is not frustrating to find, but rather it's a moment of leading to see how God is going to guide that direction. A third reason why we often resist God's will is because God's will seems to be a threat to my plan or dreams. This speaks into the heart of a mindset that my dreams are good, but God's dreams and God's plans are bad. You see, my plans are what I want to do. And God is going to force me to do something I don't want to do. His plans can't be best. His dreams, His will, His his desires for my life can't be best. My plans are because I know what I want to do. It's going to SeaWorld. I don't want to go to SeaWorld. I want to go to where I want to go. And God says, I've got something so much better. This exposes truly a false way in our heart and life. Our dreams are mostly false. Our dreams are not what we truly desire often. God has a way of fulfilling my dreams for my life in a way in which would in which absolutely amazes us, amazes me. And the biggest threat to God's plans and God's will being formulated in my life is my own dreams. Is my own desire to do my own dreams. Why do we do this? Number four, because we overestimate our own plans. And number five, we underestimate God's goodness. See, here's what we do in our heart to try to rationalize our dreams and we know what is best. 
we upsell in our heart and our mind that our that our plans are so much better than God's and then we downsize what God's will means in his desire for goodness in our lives we state that our dreams are so much better than what God could ever do. We dramatically underestimate the power of God to amaze us, to blow our minds, if I can use a word from, or a phrase from earlier. In reality, we are pretty good, very good, at messing up our own lives, and only God is good at doing that which is fulfilling and perfect for our lives. God is good and every desire in which he leads us in accordance to his will is good. Which leads me to lastly, we said first of all we resist God's will because God's will seems vague and my will seems so concrete. We said God's will seems frustrating to find God's will seems to be a threat to my plan or dreams. We overestimate our own plans and underestimate God's goodness. And number six, we doubt that God's plans are good. We've had missionaries in who speak of some things in which we look at and we say, you know what, that is incredible at the story but i don't ever want to be put into that story to do we've all heard stories or accounts of different things in which god has led in accordance to his will or his plan for an individual's life and said i would never want to go that way i don't want to suffer like that i don't want to encounter uh, uh that that situation i don't want to go through that circumstance and we perceive that because we don't want to go through that, that that is exactly what God is going to lead us to do. But that's not what God's will is. God's plan for one person is different than his plan is for, my, for me. His plan for your life is different than his plan for mine. And if I try to perceive what God has done in someone else's life as God's definitive will for my life as well, that is not necessarily true. A couple of years ago, we had an incredible missionary family here. The Michael Williams family, again, no relation that I know of. And he talked about his time in Africa, serving in Ghana, in the jungles. And he talked about the different things that they would find in their home. <laughs> Snakes, spiders bigger than you are, <laughs> lizards and different things, and all the difficulties of living in Ghana and in the jungle. I don't like spiders. If there was a spider as big as what Michael Williams described in my home, I would sell the home immediately and move. <laughs> if 
There's no killing it. It's just I'm going. It's behind me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I see that. Yeah, I, I see that. And I appreciate that. Really? No. <laughs> but no, it's it's heart. It, it, it's disturbing thinking about. But you know that what is not what God has for me. But watch this. When they were here, did you see the joy and happiness? Do you remember and recall the joy of them talking, even of how that, uh, of how their child, uh, whom they lo- uh, uh, who was uh, who was lost in pregnancy, and how yes, there were some difficult moments, but how joyous and happy they were in what God had planned for them. You know, we look at the tragedies and the difficulties that come along with the will of God. And sometimes we begin to think that that is going to happen to me and it is going to ruin and destroy my life but if one is surrendered to the will of god and surrendered and seeking what god desires god reshapes us and makes us to where that dream that plan that will that he has for us perfectly fulfills our desires perfectly fulfills our dreams it's amazing at the difficulties that christians encounter and how they tell those stories with joy in their heart and a (coughs) fervent life in their spirit why because god has reshaped them for that will in his life that doesn't mean that you're going to go through the same thing it doesn't mean that you're going to encounter the same circumstance but whatever god brings into your life he reshapes us and makes us to where that dream to where that plan to where his will for us completes us and fulfills us and brings us that joy and happiness that we've been so on that of that this world clamors and desires for god reshapes my desires because it fits us even though i never dreamed it would god can reshape us transform us God's plans are good. And even amongst the difficulties, along with the will of God, those things work good in our life. Satan loves it when we resist God's will. He loves every moment of it. Because he knows that we take what is good and settle for something so much less. God has something better for us. His will. Secondly tonight, which leads to the statement, God's will is something to anticipate. Satan wants us to resist his will Satan is the one that whispers into our ear, that screams into our heart, run for your life. God is coming after you. He is going to rob you and force you to do things that will hate, uh, or excuse me, that you will hate and cause ruin in your life. 
Satan shouts those words into our ears and tries to get us to buy in to that devilish lie. But that's not what God's will is. God's will is something that we should anticipate and look forward to. It is something that we ought to come to a point in which we cannot wait to see how God is going to unveil it, how God is going to work in the next step, how He's going to work in the step after, and the step after, and the step after. It should be something in which we look at and say, God, I can't wait to do what you have for me because I know you have something that is perfectly designed for me in that next step. God's will should not be something that we fear, but it should be something that we fear to miss. It should be something that we are very cautious and anticipate and make sure that we are making every step exactly like God desires because we don't want to miss it. We don't want to miss that stir. We don't want to miss that step. We don't want to miss how he directs or guides or leads because it is an incredible will and it is wonderful to see how God works and shapes it. We've already stated, and I'll state it again, that there are difficulties in his life. Don't get me wrong. I'm not talking that the will of God is simply a bed of roses or simply a wonderful, uh, 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 fruitful, uh, uh, as far as a uh, uh, completely uh, uh, comforting thing because it is something in which there are difficulties in life. And in the midst of those things, though, as God leads in his will, God unfolds more good than we could ever anticipate along the way. His grace is always abundant, and every good, perfect gift cometh from our Father above, as James stated. Look at Jeremiah 24. I want you to see this, please. Jeremiah 24. Please don't miss this. I fear that Satan so often gets us to dread the, the, will, the will of God. And oh, it should be something in which we look forward to and want to be a part of because it's what's best. Look at Jeremiah 24. Look at verse number 5 with me, please. Context is so important. I wish we had time to look at all the context here. We don't tonight, but if you were to do a study of Jeremiah 24 the Bible is speaking of the leading into what would become the unfolding of Daniel. Uh, the book of Daniel and the children in captivity. Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And all the things that would unfold in Babylon. As God is about to make this come to be. Notice what Jeremiah says in verse number 5. Thus saith the Lord, the God of Israel, like these good figs, so will I acknowledge them that are carried away captive of Judah. Wait a minute. This is God's plan. God is going to bring His people out of the place that He promised them. He promised the children of Israel the land in which they were living in. And God says, according to my plan, I'm going to take you out of this land. And I'm going to carry you away captive. Again, life involves hardship. 
But notice what he continues to say. This is an incredible thought right here. Whom I have sent out of this place into the land of the Chaldeans for their good. What? God is going to take his people out of the promised land that he promised to them that they were inhabiting. And he was going to carry them captives away from the land. And it was going to be in accordance to his plan for their good. There was going to be some hardships there, but God was going to work it for their good. These were bad circumstances. These were difficult days. But God was doing it to bring good in their lives. You see, God knows that He is better than any one of our dreams that we make on our own. And more than fulfilling our dreams, He wants to do what? Let's continue in verse number 6. For I will set mine eyes upon them for good in captivity in the foreign land. And I will bring them again to this land and I will build them and not pull them down. And I will plant them and not pluck them up. And I will give them an heart. Don't miss that statement. To know me that I am the Lord and they shall be my people, and I will be their God, for they shall return unto me with their whole heart. You see, more than fulfilling our dreams that we concoct in our own hearts and minds, God wants to fill our hearts with Himself, just like He filled the hearts of the people of Israel, and He was bringing them into captivity so that they would know Him, and they would, uh, uh, they would learn to, med- uh, to once again come to their God. You see, God wants us to know Him. The Israelites had their focus upon their heritage, upon their traditions, their desires, and their own dreams. And they lost themselves in their own selfishness. But God here was using the captivity into Babylon to rescue them from themselves. He was going to bring them to himself once again. And he was going to do it for their good. Sometimes God needs to set us free from the idols that we erect in our own hearts. And he allows some difficult, some moments in which we go into captivity to do it for good because he's going to draw our hearts or bring our hearts closer to him. And he knows that he would rather uh, uh, rather have our hearts than us have all our dreams fulfilled. And by the way, when we have him filling our hearts, our dreams will be fulfilled. Because he is fulfillment of every dream. He is fulfillment of every desire. He is fulfillment of every need. He is all we ought to need.
God fulfills us like no one else can or ever could. You see, your heart, my heart, was designed for him. Look at Jeremiah chapter 29, please. Look at verse number 10. For thus saith the Lord, that after 70 years be accomplished at Babylon, I will visit you and perform my good word towards you in causing you to return to this place. For I know the thoughts that I think towards you, and saith the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you an expected end. If you were to take those words expected end and to simply write in hopeful end, what I hope for, what I long for, what I desire, that is what Jeremiah is speaking of here. God says when you come to your expected end, it's going to be what you desire. It's going to be the fulfillment of your heart. Then shall ye call upon me, and ye shall go and pray unto me, and I will hearken unto you, and ye shall seek me and find me, when ye shall search for me with all your heart, and I will be found of you, saith the Lord, and I will turn away your captivity, and I will gather you from all the nations and from all the places whither I have driven you, saith the Lord. I will bring you again into the place whence I caused you to be carried away captive. You see, God says, I'm doing this all for your good. You're going to come. We're going, uh, your heart's going to come to me. I'm going to fill your heart. We're going to have that relationship that is so earnestly desired amongst the depths of your heart and amongst my heart we are going to see the fulfillment of the desires of both of our hearts by doing this plan by going this direction did it look difficult was there troubles yes there was but god was using it for their good God can take circumstances that seem to be at dis, uh, a complete dis, uh, dismay, seem to be a complete loss, and say, I'm working it together for that which is good and perfect in one's life. How incredible is our God? The will of God is something we ought to anticipate because he can use even the worst of circumstances to draw good because he is God. Psalm 16, verse number 11. I love this. Thou wilt show me the path of life. In thy presence is fullness of joy. At thy right hand there are pleasures forevermore. Hallelujah. God says, when I have your heart, you will find that joy. I love how David writes in Psalm 23. We read it a couple weeks ago, I believe it was, but let's read just a few verses here this evening. David said, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake you see god's plan involves that which is good that which is perfect that which is acceptable that which is right god's plan entails his wonderful will his plan leads us in that which is good 
Oh, don't let Satan deceive you tonight and tell you that his plan is wrong. His plan is mistaken. His plan is an error because God's plan is always right. It is always that good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. It completes. It fills. It shapes us in ways we can never imagine possible to fulfill the very desires of our heart, even desires we wish, or excuse me, we did not know we had. Number three, quickly. God wants me to know His will. God wants me to know His will. He always reveals His will. Usually it's one step at a time. And usually it's not as clear as I desire. But it's what's best. God shows and leads and directs, and He says, here's the next step. Well, what's going to happen after I take that next step? Because after I take that next step, there's a longer drop down there if I take this step. God says, just trust me. And we take that step, and suddenly it seems like, okay, God, uh, this is a bigger step now. What do I take now? And God says, just trust me. So often we want to know what's going to happen 10 years from now, but God says, if you'll trust me today, I'll show you what's going to happen today. I'll show you what's happening right in this decision now. And if you help, and if you allow me to help you make this decision now, and if you allow, and or if you follow through in that wonderful, perfect will of God, I will shape and I will guide and I will lead, and you will see my perfect will come to be. God wants me to know His will, but here's how He wants us to know His will. He wants us to know it because we have a leadable heart. We looked at this verse a few weeks ago, but I want you to be reminded of it once again tonight. Psalm chapter 32, verse number 8. The Bible says, I will instruct thee and teach thee in the way which thou shalt go. Again, God says, I want to teach you. I want to instruct you. I want to direct your steps. I want to show you what direction you should go. I want to teach you what, what, uh, what decision to make. I want to show you what direction you should go. I want to lead you. But notice, he says, I will guide thee with mine eye. Be ye not as the horse or as the mule which have no understanding whose mouth must be held in with bit and bridle lest they come near unto thee god wants to be active in communicating to me his will in his own timing but god says i don't want to force you and i'm not going to force you like some animal that needs to be forced or led with a bit or a bridle he says i want to lead you but i want to i want you to have a leadable and a teachable heart this is so key in doing decisions right is that you have a leadable and a teachable heart the moment that we harden our heart the moment that we cut our hearts off the moments that we say god this cannot be that is the moment that god says i'm not going to lead I'm taking my hands off the rein. I'm not going to force this. I want to lead you and I want to guide you, but I'm only going to lead and guide if your heart is leadable and teachable. Throughout the decision-making process, it is vital, vital, vital that your heart is leadable and teachable. Don't close your heart off to God's leading. The moment that you do so, mark my words, you're going to get the decision wrong. God wants a leading heart or a heart that is leadable to his 
guidance and direction. He says, I'll instruct you. I'll show you. I'll teach you. But I'm not going to force you. Be leadable. Number four, good decisions require surrender and seeking. Matthew chapter 6, verse number 33. Familiar verse. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. God tells us that the first thing we need as children of God is to seek the Lord. Seeking the Lord is to allow the Lord, our Christ, our Messiah, the Holy One of Israel, to have the Lordship of our heart. In other words, He is the ruler. He is the master. He is our authority in our hearts. And how incredibly awesome it is that when we seek the Lord, He beautifully connects this to His purpose and plan, to the kingdom of God and His righteousness. As we seek God, He somehow, an incredibly incredibly powerful way, connects us to His perfect plan and His perfect purpose for this world and for eternity. How God does that is beyond you or me. But God's perfect plan is so incredible and so wonderful that if we are to set our sights higher than all these things, what are these things that he's speaking of? You look at the verse in context, it's speaking of food, raiment, shelter, things in which our hearts generally want to focus towards. And this world clamors for What do they want? They want more food. They want more raiment. They want a nicer home, more car, more money in the bank account. All these things, they search and they clamor for it. And God says, if you set your sights on me, if you set your sights higher than all of these things, God says, I will fulfill and I will meet your needs. I will show you uh, and guide and fulfill your needs that you have if you set your sights on the Lord God and allow Him to lead and to guide. He so wonderfully meets all these things in our heart and life. Don't focus upon those things. Allow God to lead and when we allow god to lead and if we follow him by faith the bible says but without faith it is impossible to please him for he that cometh to god must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him faith by faith seek the lord by faith seek him lastly this lastly this evening and i need to hurry I want to teach ultra practically tonight. Again, these are actionable steps that we're looking at. Refuse to trust yourself. Now seek and surrender to the Lord. Now let me answer the question, what does seeking and surrendering look like? What does it look like? Let me just state before we get into this that this is going to take a big gulp of courage and faith. This is going to take a monumental amount of pushing our desire aside and saying, God, I want to do your plan. 
This is going to be a moment in which we are going to have to decide that when God leads to a step, that we are going to take that step, even if, even if it happens before all the information is at hand. Or any information in hand. In essence, it's almost like signing a blank check. It's like, say, it's like taking a contract and saying, this is, every part of it is blank except for the signature line and you sign it and you say, God, here it is. You fill in the rest. You fill in the lines. You fill in all the, all, all, all the details. But God, I'm willing to surrender. I'm willing just to simply implicitly and completely trust you and I'm going to choose to obey your will even if I do not know or understand what it is at this moment. I'm choosing to trust you completely and utterly. We need to talk as a church family for just a moment here. And as we talk as a church family, I want to address... live stream is off if you're listening on podcast later this will be a help but on sunday i announced a change in which god was doing on in my life a change in which is moving my family and me to another area to another church another role and as i did so there had to be a come a time in which i did exactly this step Can I be very transparent for just a moment and how God, even years before this decision, began preparing my heart for this? Over the last couple of years, I've been teaching and preaching about our identity in Christ. I've referred to it often. And God over the last couple of years has been teaching me a valuable truth that he had to come to a point in which I had to surrender to completely. And that is my identity is not in a title or in a position, but my identity is in Christ. You see, I am not a pastor first. I am not. I am not a father first. I am not even a husband first. First and foremost, I am a child of God. And as a child of God, He is the one that has the right to teach and to guide and to direct my heart how He deems and how He guides and leads possible. It's not for me to say. It's not for me to even fill in the contract. Because he is God. And as God, he has the right to lead and to guide as his child wants to be leadable and instructable. I am first and foremost a child of God. 
I'm not even a missionary in the top five things of my life. Understand that this is a huge life, life change to me. But this is not a life change that I made because God said, Here's uh, God, uh, God said, okay, I want this to be a part of your title. God says, Justin, here's what I want you to do. And I just simply had to come to a point in which I had to surrender and say, God, I am your child first and foremost. I want to follow you no matter where it leads, where it guides, where it directs. I am first and foremost his child. You see, I am not defined by a title. I am defined by what God tells me that I am. I am defined by what God teaches and guides in my heart. That's what I am. I am a child of the king, and as a child of the king, the king can lead where he desires. That had to come to a point in which I had to come and surrender to. To surrender to what God desired and say, God, I want to be lead, leadable and teachable. God, I'm willing to sign the contract even though I have no idea where it's going to lead. It takes a lot of courage and a lot of faith. But God calls this reasonable Christianity. Go ahead and continue to lie to me if you will. God calls a Christianity that seeks the Lord and surrenders to Him as reasonable Christianity. In Romans chapter 12, I told you to keep your place there. Look at it once again. This reasonable Christianity the world looks at and says, this is crazy. It's this crazy type of faith. But it's really faith that is willing to trust God in His perfect knowledge and fulfillment of my life. God who knows everything, who gave Himself for me, God is completely trustworthy and my heart is not. It appears reckless to those who don't know Him. But to us who do know Him, we realize that this is the safest place to be. He says, I beseech you, I beg you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Seeking and surrender. So we may know that perfect, that good, and acceptable, and perfect will of God. This is a moment in which we need to surrender. May I encourage you to surrender right now? Because the will of God is something to look at, look and anticipate. It is something in which God has for us that is in such an incredible design for our life that we couldn't imagine how wonderful and perfect it is for us. It is so wonderful. God teaches us just to simply surrender and yield ourselves to Him completely and utterly. May I encourage you to do it right now. In the quietness of your heart and life, would you simply pray something like this and confess to God that He knows what is best? I'm going to pray. You may write it down. But would you pray something like this? God, you are my highest goal. I surrender myself, my future, my dreams, my life, and all that I have to you and your control. Take me and do with me what you desire to do. 
I choose you over everything else. Surrender. Surrender right now. Because His will is perfect, acceptable, and good. Seek. Surrender and seek. Seeking the Lord is unplugging myself from the world's messaging and plugging myself into God's Word. It is unplugging myself from all that Satan is trying to confuse and distort and twist and deceive and truly to plug myself into God's holy word and to his word and to his voice and to his message. My friends, there needs to come a time in which we are approaching a decision that we need to turn off Netflix that we need to turn off uh, BBC, that we need to turn off the news, we need to turn off the social media, we need to unplug ourselves from those things and plug ourselves into the Word of God. Would you seek His Word? How do we seek His Word? By reading, studying, meditating, and memorizing God's truth, God's holy and perfect Word. By bathing our life in prayer and our hearts and mind in complete surrender and solitude, seeking the Lord and His choices for us by listening to the word of God as it is delivered through messages and through sermons by bathing our hearts in good music songs spiritual songs and psalms themselves by receiving the word of God any way that I can listening to the word of God hearing the word of God just being spoken and just bathing my heart and my life into the word of God because God's word is incredible and it is something Something in which as we seek him, he begins to unveil and he always will. I promise you, if you were to unplug yourself from the world's messaging and plug yourself into the word of God, God will lead your heart. I promise you that. By faith, God leads. By faith, God directs. By faith, God moves. And my friends, he does so in such a perfect way that we can trust every time. Can I go back to Florida? My wife and I and boys were once again in Florida. Different occasion. It was a school day. We got the idea to go to a place called Gatorland. There's alligators in Florida. And they have a whole amusement park like SeaWorld, designated for Gatorland. My boys had never been. And that morning, we got up, and we started getting ready. And We like to do this still even to this day. Say, okay, boys, get out your school. Let's start working. And all of a sudden, we'll say, you know what? Do you really want to do school today? No, we don't. Well, guess what? We're not doing school today. And of course, everyone's excited. Everyone, yay, we're not doing school. That's great. We did it that morning, and we say, we're going to Gatorland. They had never been. They had no idea what to expect. But they were like, yay, this is awesome. We're going to Gatorland. This is going to be incredible. They were all excited. Let's get dressed. Let's get going. And then I remember Jonathan stopping and says, Dad, what is Gatorland? 
He got to experience it as we saw alligators doing some incredible things like the uh, like uh, Shamu and the killer whales jumping up out of the uh, out of the water and grabbing uh, bits of chicken and or turkeys or whatever they had hanging up over the water and uh, gator wrestling. It was one of our most favorite days out. We had an incredible time. It was wonderful. But why did they get so excited when they didn't know what was coming? Don't miss this. Because they trusted what I said. Because they trusted what we had for them was going to be something they could look forward to. They trusted it. Even though they didn't know what it was. The reason why one looks at the will of God and says, I don't want this, is because it exposes into the very heart that that individual does not trust the will of God. That does not trust God himself. It exposes a mistrust that God has gotten this wrong. That I can't trust Him. The moment that I say, no God, I don't want this, is the moment it shows to us that we are not seeking the Lord, our lives have not surrendered to Him, our heart is not where God wants it to be, and our trust is misplaced in ourselves instead of our holy and wonderful God. God is incredible. I will go to the grave stating, making that statement. God's will is amazing and is perfect and good and acceptable. And the moment that we say it is not something that we can anticipate, but rather dread, is a moment that we say, God, I can't trust you, and I don't trust you. It is a voluntary statement of an advocacy against God instead of a friendship with God. Because the Bible teaches us in Psalms 128.1, Blessed is everyone that feareth the Lord, that walketh in his ways. When we choose to walk in the word of God, to walk in his ways, blessed. There's difficulties. There's trials. But it always is that good, acceptable, and perfect will. Trust him. He's leading the right way. Father, I pray that you would help us this evening to seek and to surrender.